snuggles. I like to snuggle with mom. And we like play games on Friday nights, and I really love her. I feel like my mom loves me when she makes me a great dinner. When she cares for me and my sister, but then she also cares for my dad and her parents, so she has time for everyone. She always helps me through my struggles, even when I feel down. She provides a home for me and cooks me dinner. She always gives everybody the benefit of the doubt. No matter what situation, she was like, this something could have happened to them, and we don't even know. Whenever I need help with anything, she'll help me. She's super supportive, and she's very um, glass half full. I love how sacrificial my mom is. I love how she puts our family first and prioritizes um, her children. I love my mama because she's the best person in my life for me. Well, I want to welcome everybody, uh, everybody in this room, everybody at all of our campuses, people joining us online, and uh, particularly folks in a couple of groups. Uh, one of those is those of you who are in our new online life group. That filled to capacity and then kind of overflowed, and it includes people not just here in the Bay Area, but places like Florida, Oklahoma, Baltimore, Arizona, Oregon, uh, Canada, and Taipei. So that's kind of cool, plus some people who live here in the Bay Area. When we asked uh, why somebody might want to be in an online life group, people said things like work schedule or I've got travel commitments. One person wrote a single word, introvert. Um, me too. So to you, my fellow introvert, um, let's not get together and we'll just give each other the gift of space. That'll be kind of cool. I'm also told we're close to 2,000 people now getting online devotionals daily. And I hope that can help anybody because we want to make sure that we don't just talk about love once a week, but we're actually doing it in our lives. And then, of course, the other group is moms. And I think about my own mom this year and how so much joy and gratitude and love and pain and hope and tenderness can be wrapped up in a single word. And I just want to say to every mom, we love you and we honor you and we thank God for you. We're in this series about love, fittingly enough, today, and about how the main point of life is love. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13, the most famous words ever written about love, where Paul begins by saying, everything minus love is nothing. Though I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, I could have all knowledge and faith to move mountains and give everything away, but if I have not love, I'm just nothing. And although the alternative to love may be a little different in our day than they were for Corinth, I was thinking if Paul were writing the Bay Area, it might read something like this. If I tweet like Justin Bieber and have more Instagram followers than Taylor Swift, but do not love, I am not linked into God. If I get a BA from Stanford and an MBA from Cal and an IPA from George Clooney, but do not love, I have only pieces of paper in pretty frames. If I drive a Tesla and save the climate, if I create a startup valued at a billion dollars, if I am written up in Forbes and Warren Buffett asks my advice, if I get my kids into Harvard without even bribing anybody, if I, if I outshoot Steph Curry, by the way, did anybody see Steph Curry on Friday night in that game? Unbelievable. If I outpitch Madison Bumgarner, if I outbrand Kim Kardashian, if I outsing Lady Gaga, but do not have love, I am as yesterday as MySpace. The single purpose of your life is to become a thoroughly loving person rooted in the care of God through our friend Jesus. And the purpose of our church is to be a community of love. 
And we're asking everybody to make love our number one commitment. And anytime somebody is hurting, just like when Eugene was mentioning, if we're, if we're gathered to worship and there's someone who is in pain or who has a problem, to know it, to care, to love, to pray, to just be human as God intended us from one moment to the next. That's why we're here. But now since we're often so confused about the nature of love, Paul goes on to give the greatest description of what love consists of ever given. And I want to get into this week's aspect of love with a question about Jesus. Because, of course, for Paul, the whole idea of love came from Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching. Dallas Willard was a uh, mentor of mine, and he was talking with a man I know one time and asked him this question. If you had one word to describe Jesus, what would that word be? It's a really intriguing question. I wonder how you would answer. We might say love. Or Jesus is Lord. That was a big one in the New Testament. Or King. Or Healer. Or All-Knowing. So in this case, there was a long pause. And then the person asked Dallas, what word would you choose? Now understand, Dallas, smartest guy I've ever known, deepest student of Jesus and the scriptures that I have ever known. And this is the word he chose to describe Jesus. Relaxed, he said. Jesus is relaxed. Seriously, that is not a word that would have been on my list. It is not in any of the creeds. I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, relaxed. It sounds way too undignified, doesn't sound religious enough, and I think that's kind of a point because it caused me to think about Jesus' life from a different lens. So unusual. Jesus arrived on the earth in very special circumstances. From the age of 12, he said he must be about his father's business. He had a vocational weight on his shoulders, unprecedented in human history. And the situation in Israel and of humanity was dire. And yet, he just works as a carpenter in obscurity in a little shop in Nazareth. Year after year, turns 18, 20, 25, 29. Still just hammer nails and sawing boards. Hey, Jesus, the clock's ticking. Yep, it'll happen. I wouldn't worry about it. He finally starts his ministry. John the Baptist gives him a big launch, big crowds. Everybody wants to hear from him. His first step is to go off the grid for 40 days in a desert somewhere to just be alone with God in unhurried prayer. When he finally gets around to his ministry, his first sermon in his hometown is so radically inclusive of outsiders that the listeners want to kill him. They actually gather to throw him off the cliff. Luke 4 tells us about this. Now, this would have made me a little nervous. Rarely when I get home from church does Nancy ask, how'd the sermon go? And I say, well, they wanted to kill me, but I gave them the slip. So that's a win. But Luke deliberately says, Jesus passed through the midst of the crowd, just saunters down the street like a guy without a care in the world. Who does that? He can only be one place at a time, traveled at the speed of foot. He and his disciples walking through Samaria. He tells them, you go on ahead, look for food. I'm just going to hang out at the well. I'm a little tired. I just want to get a little rest. They come back and He's talking to a Samaritan woman, Gentile, married five times, shacked up with some guy. No rabbi going anywhere near this woman. He's talking to her as relaxed like he's talking to the Pope or something. They're on a boat one time. Storms are so bad, the disciples totally freaking out, 
uh, these are fishermen, and, and they're afraid they're going to die. So they're used to boats. They're used to storms. And Jesus is taking a nap. Who ever heard of a napping Messiah? Next time your spouse gives you a hard time for taking a nap, just say, I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. <laughs> Who decaffeinated this man? At one point, his teachings are so challenging. Followers start dropping out. Crowds start slimming down. His brothers say, Jesus, you got to go to Jerusalem. Got to do something. Got to get the momentum back. He says, nope, not my time yet. Not my time yet. It'll come. Even one time he's taking a whip to the money changers in the temple. It's kind of a famous story. But we're told in one of the Gospels, Jesus takes the time to braid the whip himself. Hey, Jesus, what are you doing? Braiding the whip? Couldn't you get one pre-braided? Couldn't you just miracle one up so that the money changers don't get away? Nah, I'd rather just braid it myself. They're not going anywhere. We see this maybe most in his relationship with his disciples. Uh, very slow group. They're slow to understand what he taught, slow to understand who he was, slow to obey, slow to trust, slow to serve. They misunderstood him, doubted him, denied him, abandoned him. Jesus diagnoses their condition at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. Now, I'll guarantee you, if you are the leader of an urgent movement and you're on the clock, the last quality you want in your team is slow. And yet Jesus picked these guys. He was very demanding of them, but never demeaning. Never said, I'm going to swap you out. Because he was teaching us about love. And the very first characteristic of love, Paul describes as this, love is patience. And relaxed is a great word to describe Jesus because it gets us out of the religious category. Sometimes we hear the word patience and we think of teeth-gritting endurance. Oh, God, give me the patience to put up with this bozo that anybody else would explode with. Does that mean to suppress my rage? Jesus was not a teeth-gritter. He was not uptight, stressed out, ill-tempered, or at the end of his rope. And this is well known among his disciples and others. They never said to each other, watch out for Jesus today. Looks like he got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. He was the most relaxed person they had ever seen. Not because he lived in pleasant, easy circumstances. Quite the contrary. Because love is patient. But we are not. Patience is our Achilles heel. There's a survey done recently of thousands of Christians at a church, and they were asked, which fruit of the Spirit would you most like to grow in? The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine of them, more than 50% said patience. In other words, more people felt like they needed to develop patience than all the other eight put together. And that was not even a church in Silicon Valley, in California. That was a church in Georgia, in the deep south, where people cannot even talk fast, let alone live fast. Personal opinion, I think patience may be the most underrated virtue in the marketplace. I think a lot of leaders, a lot of bosses actually don't want to be known as patient because they're afraid patient means wimp or patient means not really fully devoted to the mission. But patience in the Bible does not mean being passive or lacking urgency or failing to hold people accountable or tolerating entropy. Patience is the ability to dwell gladly in the present moment 
when we would prefer not to. It embraces both the urgency of life and mission and the reality of our condition and our bodies and the people around us. Uh, it is often translated long-suffering because it means the love has the ability to suffer difficulty for a long time and not stop loving. Long-suffering. Now, here's the deal. That's always been hard for human beings. My opinion, it's harder to be patient now than it was in Jesus' day because of the nature of the world in which we live. Technology, pace of life accelerating. People have always had food. It was not in our day that we invented something called fast food. For the first time, we would try to get food, not because of how good it was or even how cheaply we could get it, but just because we could get it fast. And even then, you had to go into the fast food restaurant and order it and sit down at a table and eat it. So we invented the drive-through lane so that families could eat in vans as God intended them to do. We invented not just dating, but speed dating, self-checkout, overnight shipping, instant messaging. We text, but it takes too long to spell the darn words on the phone, so we abbreviate the words on everything to make it go ASAP. We look at screens till we're exhausted. I'm not making this up. When asked about competition from Amazon Prime and other streaming services, the CEO of Netflix shrugged his shoulders and said their biggest competition was sleep. That's what they're after. Make people stop wasting so much time sleeping so we can look at more streaming things on screens. In 1879, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, and now it didn't have to get dark. So we don't have to go to bed when it gets dark anymore. John Mark Comer writes that before Edison, Americans slept on average 11 hours a night. He says, you, you might read about a John Wesley, you might have, or Teresa of Avila, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray. In our day, we read about people like that and think what spiritual giants they must have been, but we forget they went to bed at 7 o'clock. They had nothing else to do. Jesus slept 11 hours a night. No wonder he was so nice to people. Think how much nicer you would be if you slept 11 hours a night. You'd be a great person. My friend Dallas said, one of the things that you do when you become a disciple of Jesus is you begin to do those things that you always known that you should be doing. You no longer feel the pressure to be conformed to the world. Because impatience looks like such an absurdly trivial little thing, but it'll kill my prayer life. Impatience will mess up my relationship with my kids. Impatience will make me live a shallow life. I don't want to finish this assignment. I don't want to stick with this diet. I don't want to stay in this marriage. I don't want to honor my commitment. I don't want to stay on this budget. I don't know. I don't want to obey God, my sexual behavior, because I want what I want when I want it. But love is patient, long-suffering. A friend gave me a wonderful prayer from a priest named Telhard de Chardin, and it's a little bit long, but that's okay because we're in no hurry at all. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Never, never mind. Uh, I'll read the whole thing anyhow. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. The slow work. 
We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own good will, will make you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that His hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. What great words. God wants to grow patience in you. Now, if God wants to grow patience in you, how quickly do you think He will do it? Probably take a little while, probably. If God wants to grow patience in you, how will He do it? Well, probably He'll give you something to be patient about. There is a mollusk called the silver-lipped oyster. One produced a single pearl that sold for $1.5 million, one pearl. To make a pearl, an oyster needs two things, only two things, an irritant and time. The oyster has to find a way to cope with the irritant and yet remain flourishing. So it's like a little parable. The oyster gives a tiny little bit of itself to the irritant, tiny little bit. It secretes a substance called naked, what it makes its shell with. Makes one layer, and then another, and then scores, and then hundreds, and eventually thousands of incredibly thin layers of nacre that are lustrous and iridescent. To produce a great pool, can, a pearl can take 20 years. An oyster might live as long as 40 years and might produce two in its whole life. To produce patience, you need two things, an irritant and time. And God will give you time, and God will give you an irritant. You may be sitting next to your irritant right now. In fact, if you don't have an irritant, call the church, because we keep a list and we'll assign one to you. You can grow patience. Love is patient, and love is kind. These are the two positive aspects of love that Paul begins with. He goes on to talk about eight negatives. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, and he goes on. We'll look at some of that next week. But these are the two positive ones. Love is patient. That's the passive side. Long-suffering, it waits. And then kindness is the action side of love. Just to show kindness. One of my favorite examples in the Bible is King David, who had to be so patient, who had to learn patience when he suffered at the hands of old King Saul. As a young boy, David was anointed king, but he had to wait year after year to become king. And the old king was insanely jealous, wanted to kill him. Many, many years later, after Saul was dead and Saul's son, David's friend Jonathan, was dead, David, who learned patience from his irritant Saul, David asked, is there anyone else in the house of Saul 
to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a young, lame, frightened boy named Mephibosheth. And David befriended him and protected him and honored him and fed him, even though Mephibosheth would have been recognized as a rival to David's throne. And this is life in the kingdom of God now. Love is long-suffering. Love is kind. And the question loving people ask is, is there anyone I can show kindness to? That's our question for this week. Who can I show kindness to? You can do that. Doesn't take an education. Doesn't take a resume. Doesn't take money. Who can I show kindness to? So uh, in the moments that are left, I want to give you some practices to grow your patience this week for the purpose of love. Love is patient. First practice is what might be called slowing. In this practice, I deliberately put myself in positions where I will have to wait or move more slowly than I otherwise would in order to cultivate my capacity for patience to joyfully endure this moment. So, just this week, drive the speed limit joyfully. If the sign says 35 miles per hour, you will go 35 miles an hour. Some of you are a little uncertain about this. And you'll do it with a smile. Just kind of enjoying with God, recognizing the, the silliness of my preoccupation with hurry. We get so goofy around this. This week, the week I wrote this message, Nancy and I were driving on Highway 17 to Santa Cruz. If you've ever been on it, real curvy road, real narrow, a lot of accidents on it. Uh, people always want to drive too fast. And on this particular morning, it had been spitting rain. No kidding. There were not one, not two, not three, but four accidents on the 17 that we drove past on this one morning. And quite honestly, my first thought was, thank God I wasn't in an accident because I don't have time to be in an accident. <laughs> I have to hurry back to Menlo because I got a lot of stuff to do. Not Oh, God, thank you that you've kept me alive. Thank you for all the people that are still alive. Help those. That I don't have time for an accident. Until I do. Amazing the things you have time for when you find out you were never running your life. Just this week, when you come to a stop sign, stop. <laughs> like, all the way stop. Let the tires quit rolling altogether and ask God to give you patience. Amazing the power of impatience. This April, a man felt he had been cut off, and so he followed that car home, took out a gun, shot the driver, shot and killed his 10-year-old daughter. Now, you might be thinking, I haven't shot anybody from the car this week, so I'm doing pretty good. But of course, our aim is not to avoid shooting people. It's love. So this week, when you're driving, instead of viewing other drivers as enemies, ask, is there anyone on the road I can show kindness to? So you could drive that way. When you're at a stoplight and there's a car in front of you and the light turns green and there's no movement, quote Jesus' words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. <laughs> Just this week, deliberately drive in the slow lane. You'll get to wherever you were going three minutes later. That'll kill you. Today, when you leave this room after this service, walk slowly. Do not start planning your escape route right now, like one of Pavlov's dogs salivating when the bell goes off. 
What if, what if, I was thinking about this, what if when somebody visited our church anytime, any week, and afterwards somebody asked them, what's that place like? The first thing they said, the first thing they noticed was that people were just so relaxed. There was just this kind of peaceful feeling and they weren't all rushed. And they had time to look you right in the eye and, and talk to you. Just felt human. What if anytime somebody came to one of our services, we never let them get away without giving them an act of kindness because love is patient, love is kind. And then what if that just overflowed, not only here, but everywhere in our lives? You can do that. Another practice is noticing people. Love is patient because only patient people really notice other people, and you can't love people if you don't really notice them. And I wrestle with this all the time. I was at a grocery store checking out. The little machine there asked if I wanted cash back. And I thought, well, sure, that will save me a trip to the ATM, and I've always got stuff to do, so I want to save time. But I was so preoccupied, I was in such a hurry, that after my groceries got scanned and put in a bag, I forgot that I had asked for cash back, and I started walking away without getting my money. And the cashier had to say, oh, hang on just a second, sir. And again, I didn't remember, so I turned with just a tiny little sigh of exasperation and a tiny little eye roll, barely noticeable, just to communicate, I can't believe a busy person like me on a mission for God is going to have to be delayed because apparently some cashier just can't get their work done promptly. And then the cashier said to me, uh, you asked for cash back and, and you don't have it yet. You were going to walk away without your money. Here's your money. Have a good day. And I said, oh, yes, so I did, so I did. By the way, God bless you. You're doing a wonderful job. <laughs> Hurry's a real close relative to ego. Jesus just noticed a tax collector up in a tree named Zacchaeus, a man born blind from birth that other people didn't even recognize, a woman that touched the hem of his garment and a big crowd full of people little children that, of course, his disciples knew Jesus would not have time for, except he did. Jesus was the great noticer of humanity. Why? Well, relaxed people look, hurried people overlook. So make this kind of a game. Jesus, help me look at people in my life today and not just look past them. Deep in their eyes, are they sad? Are they scared? at their shoulders? Are they kind of slumped in discouragement? Are they celebrating something good? Is there anyone I can show kindness to? And then because love is long-suffering, love is forgiving, and you can practice forgiving this week. You'll have lots of chances to do little relational repairs. Paul wrote, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. I got home recently, and Nancy got home about 40 minutes after me, and she said, did you put the potato in the oven? And I said, what potato? And she said, the potato I texted you about an hour ago. And I said, I never read the text. My phone was on silent. And she said, well, how are the kids or I supposed to reach you if you don't check your text? And I said, I don't have time to be checking my text all day. I've got things to do. And this led into a fascinating conversation about text etiquette and character and taking responsibility and I 
chose that conversation to tell her how I thought she was way too anchored to her phone all the time, even though that had nothing to do with this particular conversation. And eventually, I kid you not, I said this phrase to my wife, I need you to own your own potato. <laughs> Take responsibility for your tuber. It's not my best moment. Own your own potato. What a jerk. I'm amazed she doesn't take me to the husband's store for an exchange sometime. Except I'm not amazed because she loves me. And love is patient. Love is long-suffering. See, to not love is the opposite. To not love is short-tempered, hot-tempered. Lose my temper. Love is long-suffering. It can suffer and not quit loving. And every moment, love is patient. And every moment, love is kind. And when I surrender myself to God and allow that to be what I receive from Him and to give to other people, I am living in the unseen reality of the kingdom of God. These are kind of deep days for me. I'm living these days uh, with a deep experience of love for one little life that's just beginning and another long life that is just now coming to an end. And very often, many times every day, I will look at, think about those two lives, those two bodies, and think as this tiny, smooth-skinned little body is now, that old body once was like that. And as that old, worn out, quickly failing body is now, that young body, one day, God willing, if it lives long enough, will be. And in between this and that is a life. Just one life, and nobody earns it. And it can be filled with nobility and goodness and a wonder. Or it can just be thrown away stupidly, darkly. Nobody knows how long the one that I have, the one that you have, will last. And every moment is like a gift. Why do we rush past them? Why do we throw them away? This is the pearl of this is the pearl of great price. This life in the kingdom together with God. This life of love and joy and gratitude and pain and hope all mingled together. So I charge you today, don't miss it. Notice and care. Love is patient. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads right now. Your life is about love and nothing else. There is no other place you have to go. There is no other thing you have to do right now than to be with God. God, help us to love. 
We ask this in Jesus' name.